difíciles. We can do more together. I think that's a really timely uh, piece when you especially think that uh, as of tomorrow, we're in the one-year anniversary of the Harvey flooding. Uh, I guess the water already started coming in, but I guess the significant things I can remember were happening by last year, Sunday afternoon, and which would equate to tomorrow. And when you think about all this done together, I'm thinking about the team that went out last uh, yesterday and the day before as well, still working homes still seeing the areas that need help. We know it's not done by one man or one woman alone. It takes more than one to have the job be accomplished. It takes us that we can do more together. And that's not just about us here. It's working with Salem, Trinity, and other churches, even from around the country who come in, and that this partnership, this we, is much bigger than we can ever imagine. But our we also includes us, not us to sit back and wait for the Michigan, Wisconsin, and other folks to take care of it. It takes a we can do more together when we think about uh, today we're saying uh, Godspeed and farewell with Ron Robinson. We're going to have a, besides tacos with the guys, you can eat all you want. You won't have to eat the rest of the day. We got tacos, we got donuts, and we got cake, I believe. So you're going to be full and make sure you are. But, uh, you know, we've done a lot in our partnership in the gospel with Ron and his family has been a wonderful uh, run here at Resurrection from before I came to the years I've been here as well. And we're thankful, Ron, for you. And we're thankful for your family. And we're thankful that we have done a lot together. But our partnership just simply is extending a little further over to Florida is all. And it's just a little bit more space as we do more together. Google's are, uh, as we see the flowers here, 61 years of marriage. I still have a feeling Marge has carried this thing most of the way, but uh, now it, it takes us to do those things, marriage, family, life together. And today what you're going to see as we look at Nehemiah, and what a great book, is that it applies to so many areas. I think as I give you some applications throughout, you could carry that and say, well, wait a minute, you know, I really could have taken something with the flood and I could have laid it over there. Or I could be thinking about raising children and I could be putting it here. I could be thinking about grandchildren. Or I could be thinking about kicking my life off with my first job. I could be thinking about the unemployment situation that we're in right now or the uncertainty that we have in our company. Or I could be thinking about the political structure of our country and all the worries and the concerns because there's a lot of that that dips into Nehemiah because things were troubled and there were concerns related to the life and the health and the safety of the people of God. And in many ways, what we can say about this is that Nehemiah has, as we want to use those phrases, upper story and lower story. The upper story is God bringing together his plan of salvation by keeping his people, keeping the line of the Savior intact, and that although it looks like the story of a guy building a wall, it's really the story of God continuing to be faithful to bring about what he had promised from the beginning of time. And that Nehemiah brings us that, but it brings us so much more, but because we see within these chapters of Nehemiah how we go about our lives serving the Lord, being sent by the Lord, being and working together on behalf of the Lord. And last week, as you focused a lot more on prayer, one of the many pieces that stood out to me as I looked at what Pastor Ted shared with you and I'm just going to borrow it from last week's sermon, is just this, that prayer is the anvil upon which God fashions us into the kind of people he can trust with his power and use for his purposes. We 
can do more together. We see the whole aspect of Nehemiah, the praying man of God. And as we go into this and we look at all those challenges that we have, and the challenges are significant, the challenges should set us back to the point where we're praying and saying, God, what would you have us do? Because we live in a world where we can either abdicate and say, well, it ain't my problem, or we as people, we as the church, we as families can step into and say, what is God calling us to do? So when we can do more together means that there's something about us, there's something going on that God is using in us. And so prayer, not only in the first chapter, but today again crops up. Prayer comes back again. And I want you to note, as you began with prayer last week, that uh, poor Nehemiah, he's been praying and stirring on this for a while. Because it began last week as you went through that, him praying, but by the time we go from that month when he found out to the month of Nisan, that's about four or five month gap. He has been constantly in prayer and considering what is God doing? What God would you have me to do? How can I react? What would you have us as a people to do? And what's interesting about all, uh, if you have your sermon notes or you can open your Bible to Nehemiah too, you, you, you know, you see here, that he has opportunity. And I have no doubt in my mind that there's been prayers going on by the people who live in Jerusalem. There's prayers that have been going on by others who've been asking for God to deliver them, for God to take care of this issue, and yet they didn't have the, have the place and the point by which they had the influence to do anything. But God was preparing that in this man named Nehemiah so that those who had been praying would be able to also jump in and do together what they could not do on their own and what Nehemiah could not do on his own. So if we just kind of look at this story for a moment, we kind of dig into what's happening. So uh, he's, he's been praying, and you can see by the words that are used here in our text today, it's just wearing him down. Now, I don't know how you are, but, you know, there's just places where you're supposed to look like you're happy and things are good. You're supposed to always have plenty of energy, right? You're not going to show up as a teacher in a classroom going, hey, good to see you. This morning, I thought this was a joke of God on me. I, my engine just was not, I was going to come up here at first and do this, you know, act like I was a car, or a, a lawnmower, kind of do one of those pump up the gas and then go, because nothing was running in here. I mean, it's just a complete zero. Now, you can decide if it's improved from zero to up or not, but, it, but, but it's like, oh, my goodness, where's the energy for this, you know? And, and, and it, it's just a bad time. Pastors and teachers and all these can do plenty of things all week, but there's certain places where people don't want to look like you're sleeping, and this is one. And you're saying, well, you're putting us to sleep. It's fair. But, you know, it's going on, and we have that taking place. His place, his spot, if he was going to be on in any place, was when he was in the presence of the king. He has this job. He has this role. He's a super organizer because he's the cupbearer of the king. His role is to make sure nothing poisonous, nothing bad passes the lips of the king, which means he's the last place for that to pass. Which means if you're really horrible at this, you don't care about the supply train, you don't care about how it gets there, who's cooking it, who touches it. Because if you don't care, you die, because you taste it first. So your job's going to be very short-lived if you just go, well, my job is to drink the cup before the king does. 
Now, if you understand you're the last bastion, you're going to get that cup, then you're going to make sure you know where the wine came from. If there's faithful people pouring the wine, covering the wine, bringing it up, because if anybody has it against the king, you're the one who gets it. The king will wait until you've drank it and see what your face looks like. So this is a very trusted position, and it takes someone of great skill. And so as he's gone through this, he is getting worn down. The other thing is, generally in, in these kinds of countries, uh, you're supposed to not only be skilled, but you're all supposed to be at your top of your game legally. And in fact, if you don't look good in front of the king, it could mean death. If some of you are familiar with the book of Esther, there wasn't just a matter of what your countenance is like, it's whether you can show up or not. If you remember that history, if that piece there that Esther wanted to go talk to the king without being invited, right? And she feared death. Nehemiah needed to put on a good face, but through the time of prayer, through the time of, 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 of just getting down on what's going on, and that God was calling him to something more, it says his face is sad to the point where the king says, so why is your face sad? Are you sick? And he understood where he was at because he says, I was very much afraid. But he's ready with a response. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lie in ruins, the gates have been destroyed by fire? Now you can see the interaction between these two. This man of prayer was also a man of action because the king very quickly came back and said to him, so what are you asking for? Now many of us will, you know, moan about all the things going on, whichever side we are on the aspects of security of our nation, immigration, economics, jobs. But we will moan and whine and pray and but if asked, what's your part? We go, well, ain't my part. I have nothing for you. Can you imagine if Nehemiah would have said, well, I, I don't know. No, he jumps into this. And so this man of prayer is understanding this. So we could do more together. I want you to just think about this, these phrases as we look at what his response was. He said, you know, when our hearts are broken, when our hearts are broken, what we want to see and what we're going to be about is that impact for the future. We're going to be looking for what God is about, and because we're in people of prayer, that's not words of inaction. It's asking God how we, how he can send us. Jesus with his disciples takes them out, and what does he say to them? Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he might send workers. That was not somebody out there. He was asking them to pray about themselves. When we're willing to pay that price, we're willing to pay the price. Are we willing to jump in to those places that God is calling us and we see issues? Or do we stand back? When God has a hold of us and we have a hold of God, this is what was going on with Nehemiah the whole time. God had grabbed his heart. He had got him a passion about what this situation was, but now Nehemiah spent every waking moment with the anvil of prayer, finding God shaping him for this moment. And you have to be willing to make a personal investment. And that's what we see here. So he says, what are you requesting? He says, you know, he prays. He prays, and then he says, if I found favor in your sight, send me to Judah, the area where Jerusalem is, to the city of my father's graves that I may rebuild it. 
He was engaged in saying, if this is something that needs to be done, send me. So do you have a concern about the next generation and the generation after that? If you do, will you and I stop moaning about it and do something about it? Are we looking for some magical people to come in from the outside for Sunday school? Are we looking for someone else to pull our children into worship? Are we looking for someone else to talk them, to them about God? Are we looking for this Pastor Ted? That's why we have him. Are we going to send them all to Pastor Ted and let him take care of it? Is that what we're, or are we like Nehemiah? We're going to say, hey, it's our personal investment. It's God who's broken our heart that he's calling us to do that. So when Sunday school comes up, am I... I've seen this in other churches. I'm sure it happens here too. I hear phrases like this, I'm, I'm retired, I've done my time. And that nice little falsehood. Or I'm too young, I have kids, I don't want to spend time with kids now. Or, you know, I'm kind of in the middle. I think the older or the younger should take it, not me. See, the question would be is if we're going to do more together, there has to be someone who makes that together. That relationship of together is us. No one else is going to bring the kids to, to worship except for us. No one's going to be taking them not only to Sunday school but helping them learn but us. No one else is going to have that conversation about who Jesus is, not just while at church but in the car on the way home or the car on the way back from soccer or what God is doing in their lives except for us because we, we can do more together. Now, when you think about Nehemiah, again, I'm very impressed with him because he's not only willing to make a personal investment, he knows exactly what that's going to look like. And so what happens is uh, more happens together, and, and he was ready to include others because as the king said, said, well, I've got some questions for you. How long will you be gone, and when will you return? And, and so here's what he was ready for. The king gave him the time off. He also said, oh, by the way, we're going to be building. So, you know, if this is a house in Houston after Harvey, I need something to spray the walls with and get rid of the molds. I need sheetrock to put back up. I need to have cabinets. I need to have granite. I need to have sinks. He had it all listed out here. He knew exactly where he was going. He wasn't going to Lowe's or Home Depot. He knew that he was going to go to a guy named Asaph who had all the wood and the beams and the gates, and all the things. And so he said to the king, can you give this to me now? You know, when you're praying, you're thinking through, you're considering what is to come. Don't you think it would have been embarrassing for Nehemiah if he'd have left and got to the first border and they said, so where's your, where's your passport? Oh, yeah. Turn around, come back. King, need my passport. Here you go. Go to the gate, here's my passport. You get to the forest. I need wood. Says who? The king. Prove it. Oh, yeah. Run back to the king. Uh, I need a letter for the wood and the hinges and... A man of prayer was also a man of planning. 
He knew to do this together, he needed to encourage and include others by knowing what God was about, joining God there, and seeing that happening. With us together today, too, what's important when you see like mops up there is not just a gathering of young women who are mothers on a Friday, but those who are feeding into each other, helping one another, encouraging each other, because it takes work to raise children. And so sometimes we're going about life and, you know, we're almost shocked to find out that they misbehave. And when we're shocked and they misbehave, we're not ready and we react. If we're talking, if we're thinking about the love that goes into that and the logic of thinking ahead on what we're going to do, we can help one another say they will misbehave. It's not a matter of if, but when. So how do we prepare? What do we say ahead of time? How do we get our mindset so that we're not upset when it comes down the pike? How do we think about our family schedule? School started. Were you shocked? Probably not that it started, but you're shocked by the schedule that you have because suddenly everything's changed. And even for those of us who don't have school, I curse the starting of school for this. Buses everywhere. I leave a half an hour earlier for everywhere now because you have to adjust, right? You have to adjust with children. You have to adjust to be prepared. You've started now football, soccer, baseball. I don't know what all is going on, but it's not a matter of just the schedule to get them back and forth. It's just not a matter of the schedule to feed them. What is God doing in your lives? One of the questions is, what, how much is enough? Because we have to be planning for how we're stretching our children and what's the appropriate amount for them to have a relationship with us, with the Lord, and one another. That's the question. Another question is, when we are there and God's called us to be soccer moms and dads or baseball moms and dads, is what are we doing with that time? Are we just talking about kids and talking about how bad the coach is and how rotten the ump is? Or are we talking about things of life and are we there to hear from people? What is God doing while we're there? Because if we can do more together, it's not just when we're within these four walls. It's not just when we're within this campus. It's not just when we're together, but realizing that when we've been sent out, we can do more together. And we take what God has given to us and we share it with the world. Are you intentional about that? Do you think about that? Do you pray for the people who are on your baseball team or your kid's baseball team? Do you notice the mom who's there by herself and strangely quiet and maybe just hurting? Do you notice the dad who comes in and seems really angry and yelling all the time if it's not you? Do you notice people? Nehemiah prayed so he could see and be prepared. And he could see the scenarios where God could work. And he wanted to see that God would be there and that his guidance and his help would be about that as well, that God's guidance would be there in those moments because when he went to the forest to get the wood, when he went to Jerusalem, he was going to be prepared for what was to come. And we have to realize in that and just recognize for Nehemiah as it's coming up is that things aren't going to go easy just because you plan. You're going to have opposition. In fact, this next section, this last section down here, nine and following, we find out, it says, Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river, gave them the king's letters. He sent me officers, army, horsemen. But listen to this. Very interesting. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. Is that not the oddest sentence you've ever read? 
it would be like in Harvey, resurrection showed up like at our street and began to spread out to help other houses and went from our house to across the street, three places here and four places over there. And it had been like someone would have stood up and said, you know, I feel really uncomfortable having people help folks. This just isn't right. Let them sit in water. I mean, who would do that? But life is that way, isn't it? If you've ever led in something, if you found out no matter how good the idea is, how much you've informed people, there's always someone there to say, I don't like it. Have you ever noticed when you have made plans for devotions with children, to be in worship weekly, to make sure to be a part of teaching a Sunday school class, something always comes up. It may not be a Sanballat and Tobias, but something gets in the way. There's always opposition to doing what God has called us to do. For Nehemiah, he realized, and for us, that stepping out together is where we're at. We have to step out together because we're going to meet opposition. There are going to be people and circumstances that are going to come across who are going to be against any good thing that God is calling our hearts through prayer to go forward with. And frankly, it's not going to even make sense to so many people. You know, to the world, it doesn't make sense that you would take time. To the world, there's living by, it used to be called the 2080 rule, now it's called the 1090 rule. That is 10% of the people do 90% of the work, and that's what happens in schools, sometimes churches. Because why should I put myself in there? Why would you do that? Why would you take your time? It doesn't makes sense. And for Nehemiah to show up, if he would have thought everybody's going to stand up and say, amen, let's get her done, he'd have been foolish because there are always those who oppose a good thing. Let me uh, kind of take a little path here. He said, you know, there's lots of uh, applications here, whether it's working with children, working together with our Sunday school worship, a town, all these things that we have going on. There's always reasons and things that take place with that, Harvey. But there's also kind of a personal end to this, and this, this kind of began to strike me. And I, I, I want to see if it hits you, because I'm, I'm looking to challenge you, but I'm also looking for you to challenge me a little bit on this. It, this actually started back when I was probably about 45, because when I was 45, I realized I was about halfway through my career. I mean, was it 45 for you, 50, 60? Maybe some of you are going to go to 100, so your halfway point still hasn't hit there. But at, somewhere in that range, I began to realize that planning, planning was going to be really important on several levels. One is, you know, how do we prepare things for our own children and in terms of wills and that type of thing. But the other thing was, is how do you become a generous giver, not just during your working years, but throughout your lifetime? And, you know, you think about it, but you don't do a whole lot with it. Well, now that I've, I've push, pushed the magical age of 60, uh, actually, I slammed through that magical age now, but it's still back to, you know, with the world as it is, you know, how do you help and encourage things for your family? Uh, how do you give in a way that is pleasing to God? And, and, and you know, things change, you know, it's so different. Uh, I remember when we, uh, we were talking about this with some friends the other day when, I got out of the seminary, so after doing, you know, college, four years of grad school, 
uh, get out of school in 1984 and uh, got my first call uh, to two churches in Iowa. And we were so excited because we were going to make almost $16,000 a year. And that was like, wow, that is amazing. We're going to have money rolling out of our ears. Because after you've been living on $500 a month and eating a lot of beans, you know, we might get meat. But I remember at that time, you know, how do you start saving? How do you give? You know, when you talk about that 10% and, and, uh, and do that part. Well, then later we moved to uh, 1990 to Resurrection Spring, and, and we looked at the call documents, and uh, uh, effectively uh, I was going to uh, receive a, a raise. Of course, I've gotten a few raises over time. But starting in 1990, coming here, uh, I was going to get all of $28,000 a year. So, wow, we're really going to be rolling in it. Man, I tell you, we got more money coming in and out than you will ever see anywhere else. Woo-hoo! Of course, then you realize it's higher insurance and blah, blah, blah. But anyway. But you're still looking at it and saying, well, God, how do we give out of that? And I remember during those years, there was things with three boys and always kind of fighting this aspect of, you know, you're giving 10% but want to do more. And, and, and then there was times as we built this building, I remember because of the commitments to this, we actually went up to 15%, which was just totally ridiculous because... I don't know where we found that 5% to go on top, but God provided. And over the years, we've had some wonderful things happen, including Ursula getting a job. Uh, so we have became a two-income family about 15 years ago. And the thing that began to dawn on me as we've continued to faithfully give and, and wrestle through college and all that type of stuff was that um, we'd been giving, I'd have to, and I've been trying to figure out just kind of not a narcissistic way, but kind of what have we given to resurrection and beyond over these years. And, and it began to kind of pull at me is that, and I don't know why this came up, but my thought was, God, how could we give through our lifetime a million dollars? How could we give a million dollars? Where do we stand now? And, and if we take that, and what would you plan? And how would you work out your life? And see, the reason this makes a difference is that in terms of not only regular giving, but things you're doing with your family and plans you're doing. And I'm, I'm trying to make right now, uh, you know, get together with people who are smarter than me to talk about various ways that you could provide either insurance as a gap with that and lawyers and yeah, 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 yeah. But it's kind of like, well, how could that happen? Now, you might say, Pastor, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Or you might say, you think too small. But this particular text, and this is why I'm sharing it with you, it just raised it up in my, in my heart again because I saw somebody who saw the need of the walls of Jerusalem. And when I looked out there, and I talked a little bit about this last night, and you see the need to connect people with Jesus Christ, it was kind of like, well, he prayed and he planned. He prayed and he planned. He prayed and he planned. And so I keep thinking, you know, I think I'm doing too much planning and not enough praying. And I wonder how you do that. And that would be my challenge for you as you look at your life and you're planning for your kids or planning for giving to the Lord or planning for how to impact your community. It goes back to where we started last week. Are we praying? Are we praying? Prayer is the anvil which God fashions us into the kind of people he can trust with his power and use for his purposes. So I don't know if any of those grabbed you. You know, I, I, 
It might be the one, you know, talking about kids. It may be talking within your own household. It might be what we do together here and, and the importance of us all being a part of a team uh, in, in terms of our Sunday school classes, our Bible classes, our worship. Maybe that grabbed you. Maybe it was, or for, for some of you, you're thinking about legacy with your children and legacy for the Lord, and maybe that grabbed you. I don't know. But there's so much more there that you can pull out of, so much more because Nehemiah was getting into the nitty-gritty he was getting into the nitty-gritty of what is God going to do and impact through his life. And I'll tell you, when we live in a time and place like this, I think it's important for us to ask good questions. What is God wanting to see through us? What is God wanting to see through this church? What is God wanting to see through our family? What is God doing to build his legacy, a legacy by which he invested it all, it wasn't a money investment. It was the investment of his son, the investment of his life, his investment through the cross, his investment through the open tomb. God gave it all. He got into the nitty-gritty of our sinfulness. And Nehemiah, I think, teaches us how to get into the nitty-gritty of our lives and not just kind of slide through life, but really take moments to say and see and ask, God, what are you doing in my life? Father, we give thanks to you because you, I know, are doing many things, and I don't know if any parts or which parts or if, if people are coming up with their own applications that uh, Nehemiah struck in their heart, but I know that your Holy Spirit is at work, and I do ask this, is that as we go through this book, Nehemiah is teaching us many things. We see a man of prayer, and we see a man of planning, Lord, help us to be both those who pray and then actively plan, but plan not for our own self, but plan for what you're about. And plan for what you would have us to be about, and that this congregation, this place, would be a place where we can do more together because we're challenging each other, we're encouraging each other, and we're working beside one another to move the kingdom forward. The kingdom that comes because you have called us into this kingdom. We pray this for the power and the sake of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.